Hello, welcome back to the Fruit for Thought podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Esme Jablonski. We discuss their childhood, themes behind their art, and we taste test some berries. Let's get into it. super excited to have you everyone we are joined by poet and artist Esme Jablonski how are you doing today I'm doing pretty good how are you doing Jessica um I'm doing good I had hollow french toast this morning so that was really yummy Ooh, I am drinking water out of this central perk friends cup so okay so to start off when did you first start to make art and in what medium? Well, I've always been like really drawn to art. Um, like as a kid, um, when I was learning the alphabet, I used to just take sticky notes and I would just write letters on them. Like I would just write the letter R like 700 times and just stick it all over my house. So I've always been a person where if you, if I have something that I could possibly be writing or drawing with, I will be doing that on, it could be my skin, or paper if possible pretty much anything but like so I I used to draw a lot as a kid um well I am still a kid but like as a as a youngin as a little I used to draw a lot um but I first kind of started getting into painting um I'd say probably when I moved to Seattle which was sort of so I moved to Seattle when I was like eight and a half so I was feeling very much extricated from society by showing up at a new school and not really knowing anybody or what I was supposed to do because the East Coast is very different from the West Coast. Um, and so my vibe, you could say, was not necessarily familiar to a bunch of fourth graders who, by the way, are really mean. Fourth graders are really mean. Um, so I think I first started getting into painting uh, like three, four years ago, um, where I was really trying to, trying to hone it and work to get better and like work, make it a skill and not just a hobby. Um, but I've drawn my whole life. Okay. So for drawing, it sounds like you've always been drawn to art to make that pun. (laughs) Ah. Drawing, drawing. Okay. So you grew up in New York. Were you born there? Where? I was born there. I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Poughkeepsie. What's Poughkeepsie like? Well, I, it's like right across the river from where I used to live, which was Beacon. Um, Poughkeepsie is not that exciting. It's pretty much sounds exactly like the name, which doesn't really make a sense. So it's just like, okay, like there's nothing really there. And there's nothing really in Beacon either when you look at it from sort of like a first, a first glance. But there is a lot there's a huge artist presence in Beacon, New York. So there is glass blowing. Um, there was an art museum open when I was really young kid, which is this like beautiful art museum with like all over the state and out of state like artists. So that was somewhere I used to go a lot, which probably influenced me being really interested in art. Um, and I had a lot of, we had a lot of friends who were artists and there was just a lot of exposure to all sorts of, different kind of art, whether it was more physical, like huge exhibits on islands, which was a thing, or 
just painting or glass blowing or something, anything like that. Where is where you grew up? Like in relation to like, I feel like Manhattan is a very like, when you think of New York. So where in relation to like Manhattan or Brooklyn or whatever? Yeah. So if I say the city, by the way, I'm talking about New York. It's, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this habit because I'd be like the city and they're like, what city? I'm like, but the only city, New York city. <laughs> so probably about 45 minutes to an hour away um, in the Hudson Valley. So just mosey your way on to up the river and you pretty much make it to Beacon. Um, so not, you know, incredibly close to the city, but close enough where that is, you know, that's a day trip by train. Awesome. So you moved to Seattle when you were eight and a half. So what kind of, I mean, you look young, so obviously you're going to progress through your life and do different stuff with art, but what kind of stuff were you making when you were still in New York? Like you talked about glass blowing, like were you interested in that kind of stuff or were you like, what kind of stuff were you making in New York? I was really interested in, I've not always been someone who wanted to be an artist. Um, I was really, really interested in engineering at the time that I moved and I just wanted to make stuff, which I still do. So I guess that's sort of evolved, but I wanted to make things happen. And I remember really clearly when I moved, I had like a one of those little like Hawaiian, uh, like dashboard doll things. I don't know why I had it, I keep things, but I had one of those and I had like a bunch of tissues and I spent like my entire day, it was like the summer before I went to school and I spent the entire day um, trying to figure out how to parachute the dashboard doll off of my dresser. So I put a fan on the floor and I tried to create like wind so that I could parachute the doll down off of my dresser. And I spent the entire day doing that. And it, it didn't work. It didn't work at all, but I didn't really care because I was making things. And then do you think, so like coming, it's hard to like move across the country and not, did you know anyone in Seattle or at least at your school? No, I didn't know anybody um, because, mm -hmm. so little tidbit uh, is that right before I moved from New York to Seattle, when I learned that I was moving from New York to Seattle, I was actually living in Costa Rica at the time. So I, they were like, so you're going to move um, my parents from from New York to Seattle. We're going to stay here for a few weeks and then we're going to go home. You're going to finish the third grade and then you're going to go to Seattle. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't know anybody and I had just been in Costa Rica where I also didn't know anybody. So I was kind of just like floating around in the, in the abyss. I feel like though that maybe because as kids, it's very, like, you just are shaped by whatever's around you. So I'm curious, do you think that being, or having that time kind of in Costa Rica, where I imagine you were probably just with your family, but you might have, like, been more of a discovery period? Like, it could have, my hypothesis is that maybe, because as kids, you're kind of, like, for me, I do, I did what my sister did, or I did what my friends did, but that could have been, like, a precious time for you to figure out what you wanted to do and develop your personality based on your own experience and not like just totally based on what other people are doing 
Yeah, I like that. Sometimes I I don't I don't think of it that way, but I guess that's that is a good point. And my father did not live with us there. He came for two weeks, and then the reason we moved to Seattle is because he got a job, and they were like, "We want you to work here with us just for a couple months," and then they were like, "Do you want a job?" But so he wasn't even there. He brought us to Costa Rica so that he could. He's a photographer, and he was a professor at the time, so that he could you know, go on sabbatical. And then he was like, just kidding. I'm going to go, but you can stay. And we're like, okay. So it's just my brother, my mom and me. So I spent a lot of time by myself. I didn't, I spent a little bit of time with my family. I went to school for about a month. I hated it. So I, I left, but I went to school and I was just bullied, like just incessantly by a bunch of like rich Canadian kids. It wasn't really that many like Costa Rican kids. It was like one of those like international schools. There's like a lot of Canadians who go to Costa Rica. I don't really know why, but just a bunch of rich Canadian kids like used me so they didn't have to speak Spanish. And I was like, I wanna learn Spanish. And they were like, no, and they hated me. And like, they would go through my stuff and like all sorts of, They, I was just like, what? And so then I left and I did school out of workbooks for two and a half months. So I had a lot of free time and I would just sort of walk around. I don't, I didn't really do much. I would walk around. I went swimming. I'd get bitten by various dangerous bugs and I went to the beach. So I had a lot of, I don't think that a lot of young people, like really young people, I was like, I was eight, have the time to like have any like internal discovery because you're just always surrounded by supervision um and i think especially like with our generation like i hear a lot like in the 80s nobody cared and you could do whatever you want that's kind of how it felt i just didn't have any supervision because like what are you gonna do that's gonna be that dangerous other than like get stolen by like a horde of monkeys there's not really anything to do <laughs> in this beautiful tropical expand. So I think I had a, a period of unconscious self-discovery, you could say. I that's awesome. I think that that's I think that that's great and I think that it's really um I think that now um you know, like you were saying kids are in school and there's just this constant supervision and you know, you talk about like the adults will write books like my journey through myself. Weird title, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's important that that starts at like a young age. And so my question is, do you think that your self-discovery in this time that you had being by yourself and learning to be by yourself, do you think that that has, did you make art inspired by that? Or did that affect like how you um, presented your work to people or how you, sorry, or how you like made stuff with yourself? Hmm. Um, I've actually never had anyone like delve into my life in this from this very artistic lens. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I just sort of walked around and ate coconuts. But I guess, I don't know if it affected how I, um, it didn't really affect my art as much as it affected how I interacted with people, um, which probably indirectly, indirectly affected my art. But how I interacted with people moving from somewhere where I didn't really talk to very many people and I didn't really like there wasn't a lot of like normal social interaction or normal kind of school instruction 
Um, so moving from that to somewhere where I didn't really know anyone didn't really feel that different, um, which is kind of like a unique thing, or it didn't really feel that much different because I was still away from the people that I loved. I still was like, I'm going to come back from middle school, and now I am finishing my sophomore year in high school, and I'm still here. <laughs> but it definitely made, I'm a very extroverted person. Um, I like to talk to people, and I like to be around people, and my, my social battery is charged by other people. Um, so being somewhere where I didn't know anybody, and I didn't really have any friends, I didn't really have any close people other than my family, I sort of just like tunneled inside of myself for entertainment and interaction. And I, you know, I sort of brought that with me. I still can have a very lively conversation with myself um, with multiple different opinions. So, yeah, I mean, I think, sorry, it's, it's not, it's not that I don't think of my whole life through an artistic lens. It's that I don't think of everything as influencing me, but I realize that that's, everything does, right? Um, and so you just have to be asked that questions to think about it. But, um, I don't know, I made friends. I made friends and who more thought I was interesting than thought I was actually like someone they wanted to be friends with, um, which is a very new thing for me because when I lived in New York, I just grew up with these people. So all of the friends that I had were born within like three months of me. And we were just friends because we were the same age and our parents were friends or the other way around. Like we were just, we were just friends. So having someone like evaluate your personality and like, and then decide if they want to be friends with you, it was a very different feeling because nobody had done that for me before. They were just kind of like, okay, we're friends. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like I was just born with friends. Yeah, I get that. So you come after Costa Rica, you moved to Seattle. Did you start at, wait, is STEM even, is STEM in elementary school? Uh, it is, it was, it was a, it was a K through, it was a K through five, but then it became a K through eight. I started Gatewood. I spent one year at Gatewood Elementary School. Um, and I did the only, yeah, I mean, I made some friends who I still have today. Probably just one who I still have today. But um, again, we sort of diverged because then I went to STEM where, mm -hmm. you know, all those people went off to probably Madison, you know, those big middle schools. And I went to STEM and then I stayed at STEM until eighth grade, which, you know, not a choice I would have made or that I recommend to anybody. Um, so again, I was like, all right, I don't know anyone again, but I'm kind of used to this by now. Um, I was at school with my brother because we've only spent one year where we didn't go to the same school, which is when he was a freshman and I was an eighth grader and we've always gone to the same school. But like when you're in middle school, you like, you want to become your own person. So you're like, don't talk to me. Don't let them know that you know me. <laughs> so I was kind of by myself. And I was just like, okay, I'm kind of used to this. So, yeah, I mean, I would just sort of like doodle and 
talk to my teachers until I made friends. Yeah. And that was when you started painting, when you probably, when you first got to Gatewood or your first? Yeah, I was doing a lot of drawing. I used to draw all the time as a kid. And then I kind of, uh, I kind of wasn't doing it as much. I kind of, I kind of stopped like being really interested in drawing um, for a couple years. And then I'd say probably in like eighth grade, I started to kind of pick it up again. So when I was like 13. Welcome to the Fruit for Thought Taste Test. So we are doing a berry type thing because it's spring. No, it's not. It's going to be spring soon. Are berries a spring thing? I don't know, but. I think they're a summer thing, but like, it's fine. Same season. It's going to be warmer soon, so we're doing berries. Um, anyways. So I've got strawberries, and Jess and Esme have got like a berry mix type thing. Okay, so how this works is um, Esme, you will go first, and then Jess and then me. And so we will like take a bite or like a, in this case, handful or something of fruit. And then you will just like rate it based on taste. Just be like one out of 10, one being bleh, 10 being like, yay. So that's how it, that's how it goes. So Esme, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'm gonna get a blackberry. I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get a couple blueberries because blackberry is the worst of them. Okay, well that's good to know. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do it at once. Okay. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. That is really cold. Um, I'm gonna do it like eight out of ten. Oh, that's pretty high because I like frozen fruit, but. <laughs> This is the first thing I've eaten today, and it's kind of intense. So, 8 out of 10. Okay. Okay, so I have the same thing as Esme. I, like, my family, we get this, like, same fruit, or same mix, a lot, so I eat this a lot. Um, I, I like it, I'll say, well, let me, let me do the actual taste. Okay, frozen raspberries, raspberries, 9 out of 10. I think they're really good. Oh, berries, 8.5. Blackberries, seven. Okay, so like individual ratings. Love it. Yeah. Okay, so I am like the lone wolf. Wait, I don't know if that's... Whatever. I have something different than everyone else, and I just have strawberries. So I'm going to eat the, the the big one. It's really... No. Well, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, okay. Oh, boy. Frozen strawberries are like really difficult to eat. <laughs> oh, my God. It's actually, it's really cold, but it's really good. Um, mm-hmm. This is also, like, the first substantial thing I've eaten today, so maybe that's why it's good. But, um, really cold, but it tastes like strawberry milk or ice cream. Oh, that's oh. strawberry ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it, like, a 9.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. I'm going to give it a that strawberry ice cream is misunderstood. It's so good. Oh, my God. It's, like, my favorite. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I don't know if I've, I mean, I've had it. I haven't had it for a while, but shit. Strawberry milk is a different story. I do not know how I feel about strawberry milk. I don't drink milk, so like I don't. I would. I would. No. Yeah, milk is gross. Yeah, it's like ugh. in preschool they like gave us strawberry milk on Valentine's Day once. Like a very clear memory of it. <laughs> That's so cute. I think milk is gross. It's like, yeah. Like I'd much rather drink bean water or nut water than like Same. animal water.
Hey, just wanted to give a trigger warning. In the next part, we talk about addiction and mental illness. So if you would like to avoid hearing about those topics, you can skip to minute 30 to 30. What are your, what like topics of art are you drawn to? Like things that you draw or paint? What kind of stuff do you like to capture in your work? Well, I make, I do do a lot of portraits, but um, I try to kind of like pull away from that sometimes. Sometimes um, there's this really, really, really clear picture that will just like flash in my brain. I'm like, okay, well, I got to do that now or else I'm going to forget it. Things that are like, I think, I don't know, I create sort of, what seems like sort of a pop art style thing. Um, I work in like a lot of acrylic and bright colors and, you know, kind of bold shapes. And, but my pieces often, often have like a lot of layers of metaphor and meaning and some really depressing stuff. So um, I'm trying to think of an example. I ca- try to capture feelings of like um, mental illness a lot. There, I think there are certain feelings that just can't be described and just feel like you have to put them on paper, even if it doesn't really seem like that's what you're doing. So feelings of kind of addiction um, and mental health are probably what I focus on the most. Um, I'm just sort of drawn to things like that because I think that like the impact that society, oh God, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, we live in a society, but we do, we do live in a society that impacts um, mental health a lot, especially for youth, um, and sort of just leaves you in the dark a lot of the time. Um, so I think the main subjects that I'm drawn to are sort of mental illness um, and that kind of feeling of being alone in a you know in a crowded room. Um, uh, addiction is something that I've always found really fascinating. Um, I don't have an addictive personality in the same way that a lot of, that many people that I know and that like, you know, in my family history have. Um, I have a perfectionist personality um, where I sort of just have to get something perfect, which is often the opposite of what an addictive personality does. And I think I'm trying to explore um, sort of queerness and gender a lot because as like a non-binary queer person, and a youth who's had to do this all in a pandemic um, had this sort of internal battle with myself in, I don't want to say battle because that, you know, that denotes negativity, but struggle, conversation with myself about um, my identity, you know, my sexuality and my gender identity. Um, capturing that in art is like really helpful way for me to process that. Could we look at, I'm on your art Instagram right now. Clem and I pasted or copy pasted one of uh, one of your pieces of art that we thought was super cool. Do you maybe on the topic, if we want like addiction or exploring your own like sexuality, is there a piece of art you want to point to and like give us a little, show us the metaphors or whatever? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll just look at the one you copy paste in this document mm-hmm. here. Um, so this, the reference photo I used for this, just the woman, um, is from, it's a really pop, it's a really famous photo called uh, The Scream. And when I saw it, I just thought it was really interesting. Um, and I just really liked how she was still so, you know, she was still so beautiful, even though, you know, like those feelings are not really always beautiful. Um, 
And I guess what I wanted to capture in this, I know it's a podcast, you guys can't see it, but (laughs) what I wanted to capture is that I think addiction can feel like a separate entity. It can feel like someone's doing something to you more than something you're doing to yourself. Um, So I think this sort of hand is coming out of the mouth, holding a cigarette feels like you're just sort of along for the ride sometimes. Um, And I think it feels the same with mental illness as well. It feels like someone is doing something to you a lot of the time. And I just sort of wanted to portray that in sort of a, a style that feels like is normally not ugly. I'm not saying my art is ugly, but it's not like the topic isn't pretty. So I think that pop art is very much about, you know, symmetry and beauty a lot of the time. I mean, you look at Andy Warhol. I mean, he used popular culture to make, that's why it's called pop art, but he used popular culture to make art. And there wasn't a ton of social commentary there. It was very much symmetry and beauty and just something interesting to look at. And so I sort of was trying to flip this on its head by using a popular um, a popular photograph um, to kind of portray a very different idea and a very ugly feeling. Okay, well, let me first just say that I think that you um, portrayed that really well. Like when I looked at the picture, that's what I got. And so for listeners, um, there's like a red hand coming out of this woman's mouth just to like set the scenes. You guys know what we're talking about. We can maybe like on Instagram, we can post. Yes, we'll like have it. Yeah, yep. Um, so like, or you guys could just go to Esme's art account. Yes, we will. We'll, we'll plug it up and, yeah. um, but, and we'll yeah. have it, we'll catch it <laughs> but so yeah, like props, amazing. And this is like, um, so the question I want to ask is a little, um, definitely like don't need to answer it if it's like too, I don't know, like boundary. Do you, and so you said that you were like fascinated with the idea of like addiction or like, um. The idea of like an addictive personality do you, do you like inspire your work by not experiences that you've necessarily had but that um you like that you found have like surrounded you or are you just solely interested in it based on like stuff that you've just like like encountered through your life like you know you see on social media like people post like all stuff mm-hmm. i think that you know we say art imitates life without really thinking about you know when we think of art you think of things are beautiful so but art does i do fully believe that art imitates life um but some of the things that art portrays are some really real feelings in life that may not come to mind immediately so i think that my art and my personality is a product of my environment um and so that may be you know being a teenager um where that where addiction and that is extremely prevalent um in people's self-discovery and not even going as deep as that in just people around you and as a kid i was very much i was very judgmental of people who you know were addicted to things of people who smoked cigarettes or people who drank or you know people who smoked weed. I was like very, very judgmental of that. And I think that was just because I was scared of it because I didn't really know 
why people would do those things. And I, you know, I thought that it was a something about their personality, something about who they were made them do that. And it just wasn't a good choice. And so again, kids, we think very black and white. So when I started to be exposed to more of those things, I, you know, started to realize that that doesn't make you a bad person. That addiction doesn't make you a bad person, just as much as like mental illness doesn't make you a bad person. The idea of a good and bad person is a ridiculous concept to me, but that I could talk about that for hours. But I think that getting to be exposed to your environment and still feeling very, feeling very out of that world um, because of just my fear around addiction and what it could do to you, that loss of control has always terrified me. The, the loss of control over your actions and the fact that you would be so dependent on something that you could not live without it has always been so scary to me. And as I sort of entered teendom um, and started to be exposed to that world, it became a lot less black and white and became a lot less easier to be like, this person's a bad person because they smoke weed and this person is a good person because they don't do those things and they have good grades. It's a lot harder when things start to kind of, you start to have chemical changes in your brain and you see this stuff around you and it starts to become confusing because you're like, this person is really interesting and they have so many good things to talk about and they're so caring and they're a great friend and there's this that they do that I don't do, but it feels like it doesn't matter as much anymore. Um, but that fear is still there for me. Um, and it's now it's less of a fear of, you know, becoming, you know, addicted to stuff or substances or, you know, something become addicted to pretty much anything. Um, and more about seeing the people that I love and the people around me lose themselves because they have something so world ending in their minds that there is nothing else that matters. And that is kind of, that fear has sort of transformed for me. Yeah. And I think like, as you grow up, the like proximity you have, I mean, I think it's different in all families, like the role that addiction plays. I can only speak for myself, but I think that like, as I've gotten older, it's like, like, it's, it's harder to, th- I, you shouldn't think of people that use drugs as bad people. Cause that's not true, obviously, but it's like, when they're like your friend or someone like at your school, it's like a different type of feeling, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, as you, as you become a person and not just like somebody who's dragged around by their little monkey backpack, um, who just sort of is witnessing what is put in front of them. As you become a person, um, you start to see people's flaws. So people who you, you know, view as being like perfect quote, perfect, um, may start to you see them as real people who have real issues and real problems and you start to see addiction as something that's more multifaceted than just like a good thing or a bad thing because again you see that just as much as you have flaws everybody else does too and you know the people around you have 
I don't like when people are like, everybody's got issues because that feels really invalidating because it's like, okay, that doesn't make your issues any less valid or important and you don't know what's going on with other people. So I don't like that. But from a, from a purely non-judgmental perspective, everybody has issues. It's just a fact. And that doesn't make your issues any less important. But it does mean that like things become a lot less black and white. And for some people, they don't. For some people, they're always black and white. And it's always, this is bad and this is good. But for me, um, that has that blurred a lot. And that, that, is, that was really scary because then I didn't know it was good and bad. And things started to feel very confusing. And has your art been able to be, like when stuff is confusing or scary, has it been able to help you like sort things out? Yeah. And I think that, again, going back to the idea that everybody is a, everybody has flaws and everybody is, you know, a person with issues. I think going back to that idea of um, saying that a lot of the things that I create are so that people don't feel alone. So people know that like, this isn't something you feel by yourself and you're not, you're not on your own with this. You are simply a product of your environment. And that doesn't make you, that doesn't mean that you aren't your own person, but it does mean that you aren't alone in these feelings that you're feeling or a lot of them. And so I guess when I make art, I try to portray something that's feels really important to me, but also so that people know that this isn't something they're alone on and that it's not easy for to capture a feeling or an idea. It's extremely difficult. So I think some people that that visual thinking is a lot easier for some people. So as someone who is a very visual thinker and a very visual person, I kind of want to do that for people who don't who feel really lost and be like, this is something that I feel too, or that I've witnessed as well. So just know that like this, this art may, you may feel really connected to this just as much as people feel connected to really, really old art with like a bunch of negative people in it, you know? So like, I think the role of art in people's lives is really, really important. And especially as like a young person, we forget that the reason people feel connected to visual things is because it feels relevant to them and their their issues. If you could, like in a sentence, what would be like, not the mission statement, but um, why, what, what are you trying to um, tell people like in your art, which you talked about this like a little bit already, but, um, like if you could what would be like what what are you trying to tell people through your art oh gosh asking me to do things in few words is a difficult it's a difficult task for me but I'm gonna try um I guess what I'm trying to say is that not everything is black and white and you aren't alone in this and I'm not trying to make art that comforts people that's not my that's not my plan but to make something that feels even just, I don't know if this, I mean, I think this is a common experience is that when somebody validates something that you're feeling by being like, oh my gosh, does this ever happen to you? And you're like, yeah, it does happen to me. That can feel so good. And it can feel like it totally just connects you to this other person in this really straight line. And so I guess I kind of want to do that. 
you know, you may have to think about it a little more. Um, and it doesn't have one specific meaning. And so if you resonate with something and you're like, oh my gosh, this totally captures this really deep feeling that I have. Um, and maybe not all of it, but it feels like I'm not on my own in this. That can be extremely valuable. And I think that that is really what separates i think what separates a, a good artist from a great one is not what they put out into the world but like what they what they consume because we are like we are consumers so i think what you consume to and what you gather from the people around you separates your art from being good and beautiful and interesting and being personal okay Esme. so for people listening that want to find a way to view your art or interact with you, how can they go about that? Okay, well, I have multiple social media platforms. Um, I have an Instagram, I have a TikTok, I do have a website, which is linked on my Instagram, um, and it's like not like smajablonsky.com because I don't have money to pay for a domain, but it's linked on my Instagram. Um, and I have a TikTok where I make art and do some other shenanigans um but i would recommend you go look at that and i also do commissions which you can talk to me about on my website or on my instagram um and we can talk about art or if you're just interested in having a chat dm me email me we can chat um yeah i am trying to figure out how to get my art into a public place where you can see it but right now social media is kind of kind of the spot awesome well it has been so fun having you on i know i can always rely on Edme for a good conversation <laughs> and we love your art we think it's so cool we're gonna i don't know i hope everyone goes and checks out instagram or tiktok or the website and can hopefully like relate to the art and get some feeling yeah yeah get some feelings y'all uh thank you guys so much bye that is it for today's episode we hope you enjoyed it you should all totally go check out esme's art you can do so on instagram at e-e-z-m-a-a-r-t on tiktok at manic pixie dream they underscore or you can visit their website, epjgoo2.wixsite.com. And as always, you can find us at Instagram at fruitforthoughtpod or email us at fruitforthoughtpod at gmail.com. Remember to use the number four instead of the word. All right, we'll see you next Saturday.